customers are what matters. We have to serve our customers, whether you're selling them pretzels or body armor or fire helmets, thermal imagers, you know, turnout gear, uniforms. It all is driven from meeting the needs of the customer. The Uniformer. Insights and interviews into the people and companies that drive the markets for uniforms, image apparel, and public safety equipment. The Uniformer is a production of the Network Association of Uniform Manufacturers and Distributors, the NAUMD. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Uniformer. I'm Rick Levine from the NAUMD. Thrilled to have Mark Smith with us today. Mark is the president of Lion Americas. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Rick. Thank you for having me uh, join you on the podcast. I'm happy to join you and uh, talk a little bit about NAUMD and Lion. Excellent. Wonderful. So one of the things I'm always curious about, especially with people in positions with titles like president, Mark, is, you know, what do you actually do throughout the year? What is it that you're tasked with um, or that you like to focus on as president? What and, and maybe even, you know, for those that don't know, they'd have to be living under a rock. But what is it that Lion, you know, what is it that Lion does? Yeah. So good question, Rick. You know, I'll tell you, I'll share with you you know, my view of that. And uh, also one thing that my coach told me, I do have a coach at line that I work with extensively that helps me and, and uh, guides me in a lot of my thought process. And one of the things that she and I talk about quite a bit is, is that exactly what, what is it that I need to accomplish and how can I help make line successful? And that really is what I do every day is wake up with the intent of what can I do to help drive the success of Lion? Really what that means is I work with our team. I work with lots of teams. I work with our people. It all starts with our people. It all starts with, with the culture within our organization. And our culture is driven by our core beliefs. So we really do live our core beliefs. We don't just put those on paper. We don't put posters up all over the building and nobody really knows what they say. Uh, we really do practice some very, very key core beliefs within our organization. So it's really about those things. It's really about people. I guess in more tactical terms, Rick, most of my days are spent listening to the market, listening to our team, listening to our distribution partners, listening to end users, listening to our suppliers, all of those people and all of those various uh, groups are really, really critical uh, to driving the ultimate success of our organization. Yeah, I love that answer. Uh, listening, you know, rather than overseeing, rather than supervising, right? I feel like a, a president from, you know, when when we were kids, um, you know, 10 years ago, Mark, would have been, you know, that I supervise a team, I have 10 direct reports, I have this, I write, like that might have been the answer of a generation ago. And, and I really appreciate that the concept you're putting forth is about what are our core values? What do our stakeholders tell us every day, right? And you described some of those stakeholders, right? And it goes everywhere from the people that are direct reports to you, but also other team members and your customers and the market in general and all of that. Do you want to 
um, share any one or two of those core beliefs? Is that codified in 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 a in you know specifically? Yeah, no, I'd love to. So, you know, we are a family-owned business, uh, as most people probably know. Two brothers own our company, Steve Schwartz and Andy Schwartz. I tell Steve and Andy this often. We in, in the company, those of us that are in the company, are really, really blessed by the fact that their leadership and developing the designing our core beliefs has really guided our company for 125 years now. Uh, and so some of those things that, that we really focus on, number one is customer intimacy. We absolutely at Lion, every person at Lion absolutely must focus on delivering world-class level of service to our customers. We have to have strong, strong networks. And we do. We, we've got a lot of groups that we interface with that are in the industry. And we, we listen to those people and we learn from those people. So customer intimacy is absolute number one. Doing what we promise. You know, when we make a promise to a customer, we deliver that promise. One way or the other, we are committed to that promise. And we're blessed that we do have ownership that supports us and and absolutely requires us to deliver what we promise. Uh, we learn from everyone. You know, when we have meetings, we say to people, you're in this for a reason. You have to have an opinion and you have to express that opinion. Whether we agree with your opinion or not is not the point. The point is, if you're going to sit in a meeting and we're going to discuss a business topic, you have to participate by sharing your view. Your view is important, whether or not it's the right view or not, or whether we agree on that view is a whole different story. But we have to hear your view. We have to hear your perspective. So we really, we really do that uh, in a very big way. And I think people love that about working for Lion, that they know they're going to be heard, whether or not, you know, that that their opinion is the one that ends up guiding the direction that we may go for whatever problem we're trying to solve or opportunity we're trying to achieve, they know that their opinion is going to be heard and it's going to be valued. So we do, we do listen and learn from everyone and everything. We respect our teammates. We, we absolutely, and that's part of the respecting our teammates is, is asking people to share their view and share their opinion. So we do a lot of that stuff. Uh, Rick, we're, we really are truly driven by those principles. Those principles are what build our culture. And uh, there's nothing more important than the culture of our organization as the things I just described. So there's a lot in there. And, you know, some of it is, you know, uh, I'm not insulting. It's corporate speak. It's, you know, mm -hmm. we we deliver, we do, you know, we 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 value our customer. You you use some unique language in there that is very contemporary that I like, though. It's not that we, you know, we listen to our customers, it's that we want to be intimate with them and all that that implies, right? That intimacy is, it, it implies trust. It implies um, knowledge and transparency. It implies, right? Uh, so I love that word. And then you went right to back to listening, which I love, right? So yes, we're going to keep our promises, 
but we're also going to keep our promises by listening to each other. I mean, I'm saying it back to you. I know you're living it, but I guess I'm processing it because, uh, you know, as I've heard it uh, said, what's interesting also, and because you and I have talked about this before, Mark, is like, I almost wish our, the politics of our nation and the world could operate the way you just described. Like, wouldn't it be great if we could all listen to each other and acknowledge and say, well, I don't necessarily agree with you, but I want to hear you out. I want to hear it. And then we can calmly talk about <laughs> like where we can go. So, you know, uh, someone could say, well, Mark, you know, we're not really delivering what we claim we are over here. And here's why I think that. And you could say, well, I don't necessarily agree, but let's let's discuss how, you know, uh, the details of all of that and maybe you know, maybe we can make you feel differently, or maybe you will show us that there's something, a nuance that we're missing to something. Am I saying it back right? Oh, no, you're exactly right. And I, I think, Rick, when we get into when we get into these, you know, situations where there's an opportunity or, or an issue that we're looking to, to either uh, solve or, or uh, win, we debate, we have spirited debates, and, and people aren't afraid of that within our organization. They, they embrace that. They love that about our organization. Again, that's, that's part of being heard. Uh, that's part of getting your message out, whatever it is you believe. And we take all of that. So we, we have great debate within Lion, but we do that in the spirit of, of we are one team, we are one Lion, and uh, we work that way. So it's, it's, it's something that, you know, I've, I've, I've been at this now for in this, in this industry, uh, for over 20 years. And, you know, it's a rarity. It's, it's something that I've never experienced. And again, I attribute that back to, you know, the vision and leadership of, of uh, the Schwartz family that owns our business. I mean, they got us that way and, and uh, they're very active in our business and their leadership is, uh, is really critical. And we've learned, we've got a, a really great team of people at the senior level and the middle level, mid-management level of our company, that we're all in sync. We're all very, very much in sync with what we do. How many people work for Lion these days? Total company is uh, about a thousand. And how many countries do you say that you um, sell in? We're in, you know, North America, South America, Europe, Middle East, Asia. Obviously, that those of us in our industry, because of the nature of our products, don't go for obvious reasons. Uh, but uh, yeah, most of the, most of the world we cover. All right. I don't want to dwell on it, but you mentioned something a couple of minutes ago and it reminded me of that show billions where they've got um, this, they, 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 it's a, a fast paced, high net worth uh, trading company, right? That is the central focus and they trade, you know, uh, stocks and there's a coach in there. There's a woman in that show that coaches the traders and it's like an integral part. And that fascinated me that that, that is likely true that there's companies that have, I mean, is this coach on staff at Lion and helps whoever wants to be helped? Is that the idea? Yeah, it's funny you bring that up, Rick. I mean, somebody, I think they were doing it as a joke to me, said, hey, maybe, have you ever watched Billions? And I said, no, don't really watch a lot of TV. I don't, I just don't do it. And so 
for no particular reason. I just don't have, I just don't do it. But they said, you should watch this show billions. There's this coach that coaches all the salespeople. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh man, I bet that's interesting. Maybe I should watch that. And, but I didn't, I still haven't watched it, but maybe I should. But uh, they, they implied, maybe you should hire a coach for all the sales team. If somebody's not hitting their number or something, the coach can come in and, and uh, you know, give them, give them advice. And I kind of chuckled about that. And so we have, we have lots of coaches at line, but don't have an outside coach for the salespeople, but in all seriousness, we do, we do believe in coaching in a big, big way at Lion. And I, I, for one, have benefited from coaching in a huge, huge way. People that know me well uh, see that and they ask me, so, so what, you know, what, what went on in your evolution? And it was really, I, I attribute that to a coach that was really, really candid with me uh, and feedback. Uh, she is not on our staff. She's an outside person, but she's worked with Lion for 20 plus years. And uh, she was, she was a game changer for me. She really helped me understand, you know, what leadership is really all about. It's about people. You know, at the end of the day, it really is about people uh, and mentoring and coaching people and having relationships with people. You know, I'm at Lion a lot. And so this attitude that a lot of people, you know, have that this is just a job that doesn't work at Lion. It's a relationship. We have relationships with people. Uh, we see people a lot. We spend a lot of time with our teammates and uh, we want to we want to be part of their lives and more than just, you know, what we do at Lion. So, yeah, very interesting. Arguably, we spend more time with some co-workers than we do with spouses, significant others, right? Uh, family. So it's that's a really good point. OK, thank you for indulging me in the billions reference, I guess. But I'm, I guess I'm the second person to to mention that to you. And, and we've we've. Uh, alluded to your your past uh mark <laughs> but so let's let's talk about that that so before um before lion you know you had uh work uh that you did at galls you had work for point blank uh for bullard these are not unknown <laughs> brands in you know in our industry these are you know so how do you feel like um i know that you you were talking about how the coach influenced you but talk about maybe some of you know, uh, how you got to where you are from those companies and maybe even, you know, how that's influenced you as a, as a leader, um, you know, how, how has that coming out of those? Oh, and in particular, you know, I'm always fascinated by once you get to your level, Mark, you know, you come out of sales versus coming out of marketing versus coming out of product development. And everyone comes in with a point of view. And typically the point of view is because this is what you spent the past 10 years of your life working on. So now that you're in a, uh, a veto position, in a leadership position, you can, you know, um, I think you get the question. Yeah. So again, Rick, it, it, again, I think, you know, people are going to sense from our conversation that the key theme here is, is people and relationships. Uh, and I really, really do believe that uh, is what will drive most people's ultimate success is, is the, the level of relationships that you end up having with, with people you work with and people that you live with. And so, you know, I've been actually, believe it or not, I actually had a, a career completely different than this industry before I actually started 20 plus years ago at Calls. I was actually in the consumer goods business. I worked for two big brands again, 
And I start really started my career at Borden Foods in their snack food division. So I was in, you know, running around as a sales guy trying to sell potato chips and pretzels uh, to supermarket chains. And so I did that for six years and then uh, switched over to Campbell Soup Company in their snack food group, running around again, selling cookies and crackers and Pepperidge Farm goldfish to big, big supermarket chains all over the Southeast. And it was great, great experience. I loved that industry. But the reason I loved that industry uh, was that it was such an industry where if you did a lot of what I talked about in our core beliefs at Lion, if you did what you promised and you built fostered customer intimacy with buyers at supermarket chains and store managers and grocery stores or whoever it was, you were rewarded for that. If you did a good job and you did what you promised, you were rewarded. That industry was a huge industry and it became, it, it evolved to a very, very analytical industry. And so I didn't particularly like that too much. There were a lot of bits and pieces that I did grasp in that analytical because I am a fairly analytical person. I do enjoy the numbers of our business or any business. And so it always intrigued me. I do like the numbers. I do, I do like to be involved in that. But it just became very, very analytical. And so I decided I was granted the opportunity to come over to Gauls and join Gauls in 2000, maybe 2001. Still part of Aramark at that time then? It was, it was part of Aramark. And a friend of mine invited me to come take a look at that uh, Gauls, that they were trying to achieve some things that he thought I might be a pretty good match in helping them achieve. And so I did. And I remember, you know, flying to Lexington, Kentucky, and and uh, with really no intention whatsoever of leaving the, the fabulous food industry, how dare you even consider leaving the consumer goods industry? And so I really didn't think anything of it, but I went and, and met the people at Gauls, and I came back home that same day, and the next morning, my next door neighbor was going for a bike ride. He was a Charlotte firefighter and I stopped him in the street and said, Hey, Josh, I want to ask you a quick question. He said, yeah, what's up? And so I said, you heard of a company by the name of Gauls? He said, Oh my God. Yeah. I, I buy everything from Gauls. Why, why are you asking? He knew who I worked for. He said, why are you asking me about Gauls? And I said, well, I, I actually had a job interview there yesterday and I'm actually made go to work for that company. He said, oh my God, that'd be, that'd be a cool job to have. And so that kind of sealed the deal for me. I decided, you know, I liked all the people I met there. I, I really connected with their vision and what they were doing and, you know, the, the meaningful work they were doing with first responders. I just thought that was so cool. And so I did. So I, I picked up my family and we moved from Charlotte to uh, Lexington. And that was in, like I said, 2001. And uh, the rest is history. So what have I learned? Again, I have been so blessed in my career, Rick, that I have been guided and mentored by people that really understand that business is driven from customers. It all happens at the customer level. And yes, I have a very much a leaning and most of my career has been uh, in the sales side of the business. And I think you know, that serves me well. I do have to temper that at times, though, in my role now, uh, because not not every everybody in our company is focused on the customer. But 
let's not kid ourselves. Our finance people have a job to do, and it's not always, you know, they have bad news sometimes. They have to deliver to customers when customers are behind and they're not paying and living up to the terms. You know, our product development people, you know, they're they're obviously focused on customers, uh, but not necessarily at the same level of passion of, of selling that I that I tend to focus on. So I do have to temper my passion at times. And, and uh, I've learned to do that again through coaching. Uh, I've, I've learned to, uh, I've gotten better at that. I'll say that anyway. Very interesting. The idea that it was a neighbor slash end user, right? That, <laughs> uh, that, that brought you to uh, our industry is uh, is wonderful, and and it it is somewhat bookends. Not that not that we're at the ending, but uh, it somewhat bookends your thought process about listening to the customer. That you know, like that's where it started for you was somebody that said, "Oh yeah, no, I love that supplier." The fact that they would say they love that supplier, I mean, I, I can't imagine a supermarket ever said to you, "Oh, you're from Borden." Oh, great. We love them. <laughs> exactly. But I'll tell you that I think the, the one common theme, you know, when I look back at, at, at the leaders that I have really aspired to, to emulate throughout my career, and there's a lot of them, they all have one common thing. And the one common thing is customers are what matters. You know, we have to serve our customers, whether you're selling them pretzels or body armor or fire helmets, thermal imagers, you know, turnout gear, uniforms, it, it all is driven from meeting the needs of the customer and, and really understanding who your customers are, understanding the products and services that they want and need, understanding how they procure those products and services, and aligning your organization to go out and meet those needs. If you do that, and you build great products and you're passionate about it, it's hard to go wrong. It's really hard. It's hard to miss. I have an anecdote and then I'm going to ask ask a question. The anecdote, because the other thing that I'm recalling from what you said a, a minute ago is that you kind of weren't jazzed by the, the analytics of consumer products. And it was Sam Walton, I remember when I read his book, I don't know what, 20 years ago, 15 years ago or whatever it was. He said, you know, computers are great. Those computers can tell me exactly what I sold, but they can't tell me what I could have sold. Yeah, that's right. And that it, it, it opened my eyes. And I'm a computer guy. I spend 24 hours a day on a screen, literally. Like, you know, but my question is, and I imagine the answer is, well, we got to listen to the customer because that's the, the you know, what you're beating me over the head with a bit here, Mark. Uh, <laughs> we, that... What does innovation then look like moving forward? So, you know, instead of the history, we could say, yeah, okay, we sold this number of turnout, you know, gear this, and we sold this amount to law enforcement professionals, and we said, right? But what does innovation look like going forward? How do we, how do we determine? Well, oh, here's something. It's like it feels to me as a a layperson, we have this hundred year storm, a hundred year environmental catastrophe, right? When we're recording this, the fires in Hawaii just settled down. It's, you know, we, we have all of these things happening all the time, 
And we're told, oh, this only happens every 100 years, but we're like told that every 60 days now. So it has to be a huge challenge for first responders. How do they know what's going to be thrown at them nowadays? And I imagine their needs are evolving. And yes, you're going to tell me you're listening to them, but then how does that all get translated? What's the process where you say, you know, that now we need to innovate in this area and this area? Yeah, so that is a great subject that we could probably talk for a long time about, Rick. Um, so when you look at both the fire side of first responders and the law enforcement side of first responders, both are going through tremendous evolutions right now, you know, in, in a lot of different ways. Environmentally, things have changed. Culturally, in our society, things have changed and continue to change. And, and they struggle with trying to uh, continue to, to uh, do their jobs, which is basically to protect and serve all of us. You know, when stuff hits the fan, they're the first ones we call, whether we like them or not. When, when it hits the fan, you pick up the phone and, and you ask for help from first responders. And, and thankfully, they're there to take care of us. So we have a team of people at Lion that spends their time doing nothing but evaluating the environmental hazards that, that are out there, how things are changing, and what we can do to meet those needs. We, we have a saying that, you know, we really, when you look at our company, what we do, we're really about before, during, and after. And what that really means when you, when you look at the composition of our, the Lion brand, when you look at the Lion brand and what it represents, the first responders, it really does represent before, during, and after. And what that means is before a, a first responder ever is sworn in as a, as a law enforcement officer or graduates from the fire academy and, and uh, gets that first set of turnout gear, we really, in our business, teach them help. We don't teach them, but we contribute to them being taught their skill because of our training products business. So we have a training products business that's highly innovative and, and we develop training props. We build training structures that allow uh, fire and law enforcement to do their job, learn their skills and hone their skills and, and protect us. So that's the before part. The during part of it is we provide them the garments that they need in order to function in an ergonomic, uh, comfortable way, those those garments have to be durable. They have to uh, be comfortable, uh, but they also have to protect the first responder uh, or, and allow them to do their job. So we're involved in all of that science uh, of uh, you know technology in the textile world for where that's going, and that's changing every single day. Uh, so we're in front of that with with people like Burlington, with people like Safety Components and Gore and DuPont and all of these various uh, manufacturers or suppliers. So we have great relationships with them. The thing that we we tell, you know, the DuPonts of the world and the Gores and all these people I just named is we don't take we we don't depend on their innovation. We create our own innovation. Hmm. So we take their innovative products. And we turn around from a design and a garment manufacturing uh, point of view, we bring our own innovation through comfort and durability uh, into those garments. So that's the during part. 
And the after part of it, what does that mean on after? Well, once, once a first responder completes their mission, we're there to take that gear back. We repair it. We inspect it. We clean it. We make sure that they're safe, that they, the gear they're wearing meets the standard that they need it to meet in order to do their job. So we really feel like at Lion, we, we really have a special place for first responders. And it's, it's really before, during, and after. And I think people, people count on us in a big, big way. It was said to me several years ago by a very uh, well-known fire chief, who I won't name, said to me one time, the difference between Lion and a lot of other people is that when you're looking to buy whatever it is you're looking to buy, there's a lot of great products out there, a lot of great manufacturers in this industry. And we're grateful for all those great manufacturers. But if you're looking for somebody to really sit with you and design a program and a garment that meets the needs of your specific department, because they're all, they're all different and how they approach, you know, their mission. Lion is a great place to do it because you guys really will sit with us and do all that crazy stuff that we want to do. And that's what, that's what really makes us successful and really makes us pretty special. Uh, you might call it intimacy. Absolutely. <laughs> Customer intimacy. No doubt yeah. about it. And I like that. And, and I know that that sitting with them part I don't know, maybe even people listening to this podcast would be like, well, I sit with my customers. I listen to them. Right. And, but I know that you have, I think you've mentioned this before, you have a unique approach where you have many subject matter experts that might be sitting in that room with them. It's not just, you know, uh, the representative in the great state of Utah that happens to be calling on that fire department. Can you speak a little bit about what you mean when you say that, that you have the various experts that that weigh in on it? Yeah, I love to talk about that subject, Rick, uh, because I think what 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 I just described makes Lion from a from an end user's perspective special. It's our products, uh, but how we approach end users and the market really set us apart and differentiates us and makes us unique, which is essentially, you know, that's really the essence of strategy is being unique, finding your unique position in the market uh, is what, is what drives your, your, the success of whatever strategy that you decide to do. And so we, several, several years ago, we really took a, a deep dive into looking at, how we went to market with our team and specifically our sales team. And it was interesting, you know, what that uncovered. It uncovered that we had certain regions where we had great distribution partners, but we may not have had a lot of Metro of the big city business. We just didn't have that business. And we wondered why is that? And then we looked at other regions and we had a lot of, a lot of the Metro big city departments and a lot of the rural departments and just a lot of end user activity, but our distribution partners, we just, we didn't have great distribution partners. As we started trying to analyze and figure out what, what, what's, what's, the, what's driving that it all came back to the people. And so when we started really looking and analyzing and understanding our people, we started to understand and see that, you know what, managing distribution and managing end users in our space are two very, very different jobs. And we 
certain people that are great at managing distribution and they love supporting distribution. We have other people that really love calling on end users and love standing before, you know, a command staff and talking about why, you know, their vision, we can meet that vision. And so we now go to market that way. We, we embraced that. We didn't try to change people. We accepted people's strengths and we aligned ourselves according to those strengths. So we now go to market in every region with a team of people, be it somebody that's responsible for distribution, someone that's responsible for that end user relationship, somebody that's responsible for every category that we do business in. There's somebody that's responsible for that product line. So it's it's not unusual when we walk into, you know, some appointment with a potential customer that there may be four or five line people there, not just just one, because there's a there's a lot of questions that that customer has that it's very difficult for a single person to be able to answer every question. Uh, so it makes our it makes our time with end users very productive. They appreciate that and. Uh, it works well for us. Will some of those end users end up leaning on you only for before or only for after? Or and then some are the all three, you know, before, during, and after. Does that follow a bell curve? Are most buying product from you for, you know, during events? Uh, and then some use you for the before and some use you for after? Or what does that look like? Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you, you asked me about my experience and, you know, we all we all are kind of molded from our experiences, right? You know, our experiences are what mold us and, and it's how we think. And it's interesting that you asked that question because my team kind of rolls their eyes at me when... I said, you know, guys, when I was in the consumer world, specifically at Pepperidge Farm many, many years ago, and the boss came to town and he wanted to tour 10 grocery stores. And I had to go around and make sure they were all buttoned up and everything was perfect for the, for, you know, because I was giving him the, the tour. And he always had a map in his hands and he was grading me on, and he was always looking for one thing. It was called a model store. And he wanted every single product that I was responsible for in that Pepperidge Farm portfolio of products. He wanted to see in every department in that grocery store, we had a product that should be in that department. And he was grading me on how many model stores that I have. So I took that, that all, it drove me crazy as a sales guy you know, out in the field. Try, I was like, I can never get all of this done. There's no way I'm ever going to get to a model store. But that wasn't the point. The point was by setting that as a standard, I was always striving to have model stores. Rarely did you have a model store. It was impossible almost, but it was, a, it was an aspirational goal to try to reach. So we deployed that at Lion in the before, during, and after. We now want model customers at Lion. We want our customers to utilize every product and service that we have, and we never give up. We may never get there, but the point is our people are always trying to convince our customers that we can help you in your mission because we've got a portfolio that is broad enough to where we can serve you before, during, and after. And so that's how we go to, that's how we approach our businesses, trying to have model customers. 
Yeah. Okay. I really like, I really like that answer that, you know, uh, it, it, this is the ideal, right? That, and, and we want to present that ideal to our teams and say, Hey, if we can get this great. Right. But if you happen to know they're thrilled with the competitor's product, but you can get in the door because of the before or the after, well then great. Then talk to them. Oh, I mean, do you handle after, even if it's not your brand? We do. Yes, we are in, in that space. The composites that we're talking about that make up primarily turnout gear and uniforms, we are certified to handle and repair all of those all of those various composites. So yes, we work on our competitors' gear all the time. It, it reminds me a little bit of uh, outside of the public safety space. You know, the, sort of that bridge that laundries run between direct sale and and laundry services. And when you're a salesperson, you know, you have to take a look at this prospect and say, okay, well, where can I squeeze the balloon, right? They're happy with their laundry, but maybe there's some direct sale business I could go in and get because I know my competitor isn't focusing on that at the moment. So, right. So you kind of walk in the door and, you know, that's the catalog that you can pull out <laughs> uh, to be a, a little old school about it. You know, I know this is random, but when you talk about these people going in and, and talking with the end users, a lot of what I'm hearing from the general uniform industry uh, these days, uh, Mark, is is all about stretch. And I know as consumers, like I love the jeans now that I wear that stretch, right? And so is that because the cliche is that someone's in a turnout gear looks like they could be, you know, getting on a rocket ship and going to, you know, to, to travel in space. But, you know, these are young people, right? It's, it's not a, it's not for someone my age to, to get on the truck, but, you know, how, how is that playing into your world, both in general and then specific to stretch? Like, are you affected the, in the same ways that other uniform segments are by fashion? Because I know on the law enforcement side, your brand Albico, they're going to get affected by these younger people that are saying, hey, you know, why yeah. can't this, you know, have, I don't know what, why can't this stretch in the, the arms more than it is? Why can't, uh, why can't you, you know, hide my belly and make me look better? For sure. So it's an interesting topic and it really is very different in the two spaces, the two spaces being law enforcement and fire. Uh, in the law enforcement side where you're, you're wearing single layer garments, although you're not always wearing you are wearing a single layer garment, but a lot of times you have a, a, a piece of uh, body armor on top of that. So it's great that that uh, shirt underneath that body armor stretches, but if that body armor doesn't stretch with it, it's kind of a waste of time. Uh, so, so, you know, it, it sounds good, but in reality, if you don't truly understand, if you don't do the work to understand the needs of your customers, you miss it. And that's that's what we see happening. A lot of people, when, a lot of times when people try to run out, they don't think that through very well and they try to run out and sell stretch and and really don't don't really understand the customer side of it. And the fire side of it, it's very interesting because turnout gear is a three layer, typically a three level, three layer garment. You've got a, a moisture barrier, thermal liner and an outer shell, very technical garments. And if all three of those layers are not designed to stretch and have textile science behind it that allows it to stretch, it doesn't matter if the outer shell stretches. If the, the if the layer closest to the body, 
does not stretch, doesn't matter what anything else outside of that does. So again, you really need, we as an industry, you know, really need to, to make sure that our innovation is meaningful to our customers and that we are bringing, you know, stretches, stretch fabrics are great when you hold them in your hand and you're, you know, you're, you're stretching them and pulling them, they're great. But if you don't really think that through to the application phase of how does that really help our customers, you're not going to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. Very interesting. Would you recommend this industry to a person graduating from college or to your niece or nephew or children or a young person? Like what, what do you think about the future of our industry? And I, you know, I use that in a general sense, it doesn't have to be specific to fire or to law enforcement. It could, you know, just our industry in general of helping people get dressed every day to do their job. And yeah, so Rick, that's a, that's a, uh, Gosh, what a what a great question! And I'll I'll share with you that Steve Schwartz uh, sent me an article. It's been a couple of years ago. Steve sent me an article uh, and a note that said, "Read this article." You know, aren't we lucky? I was like, "Okay, I'll read the article." It was from the New York Times, and it was an article that was talking about uh, people and their work, and how do we how do we keep people, you know, in, in their jobs? And yes. Uh, compensation's always, you know, important. People have to have money to live. We all get that. People want free coffee. People want comfortable chairs. Got to have vacation. Yeah, all of that stuff's important. But the, the article went on to, to state uh, through, through the research, the number one reason people stay in their jobs and what people are looking for is meaningful work. So yes, when you think about how lucky we are in our industry because we get to work with the people every single day that show up and save our lives and help us every single day. Uh, that's what we get to do. And, you know, that, that in and of itself is very, very meaningful. It's not hard to get up every day and, and go work with the people that do that. Furthermore, when you sit and talk to these people, you know, first responders, these, these guys are, and women, men and women are, are just, you know, they really get it. They're easy to talk to. They'll do anything in, they'll, anything in the world they can do for you. They'll do that for you. They'll give you opportunities. In our industry, you know, things are going to go, and the work they do, they deal with it every single day. Things go wrong. They're okay with things going wrong. They get that. So when we manufacture a product or we deliver something, that's not quite right. They understand that. They get that. All they expect is for us to be there to make it right. And if you show up and do the work, these 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 men and women and first first responders will do anything in the world. They they will become you know lifelong friends. So my answer is, I recommend our industry a lot to a lot of people. Not only not only young kids coming out of college, but you know, people that are in mid-careers that are just struggling because they don't have meaningful work. Uh, come join us. Come come get into this industry. Uh, if you're the kind of person that that does what you wakes up every day and does what you say you're going to do and, you know, does what you promise, uh, you'll love this industry. It's just a great, great industry. So how do we make sure that people packing boxes 
uh, understand what you're describing as well as you and the Schwartz brothers understanding it, right? Yep, that's a great point. Uh, our our plant people, our manufacturing team, our operations people, uh, we talk to them on a regular basis. In fact, I've got an initiative right now that I'm working on. We should have been doing this 100 years ago. We need to bring our customers into our manufacturing uh, environment and, and let them share how important our manufacturing teams are. I told, I told them in our ops meeting this week, uh, our ops leader was, was congratulating our team on what they did last week. And, and I kind of jumped in and said, Hey, Joe, let me, I just want to say a couple of things. And, and I thank them for, you know, for what they do. And in fact said to them, you know, you guys are the heartbeat of our company. If, if you, if you're not making the products, if, if you're not making great products, our sales teams can't be successful. So yes, that is important that, and we're working on, you know, one of our, one of our initiatives going forward is customer engagement and customer experience. And part of that is bringing those customers into our complete organization and, and letting, you know, those people that are cutting and sewing, doing those difficult jobs, pick packing and shipping, mm. that those people also understand truly what it is they're doing and how important, you know, taping that box is because that box gets there, you know, on time, every time. That's important. Really important. Yeah, I, I really like that. Just use your own words. It, it's almost, you know, like how do we have the entire company culturally involved in customer intimacy, right? Yep. And maybe that's one way that that, you know, that that happens. And I think that's a valuable lesson for all of the companies in, in our industry, because we, um, we do touch and mean so much to people and how they do their jobs. And, and, you know, in your case, you know, uh, protecting their lives while they're protecting our lives. I really appreciate that answer. I I like that a lot. Mark, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. You make this all look so easy. Thank you, Rick. It's great to talk to you too. uh, Can't wait to see you again soon. I'm I'm, uh, looking forward to the next uh, event that we get to uh, get to go to. Hey, Mark, have a great day. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Rick. Appreciate it. 